0: This is Bragg, the son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a LOTRO podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. Beacons of Minas Tirith. The Beacons are lit! Lotro calls for aid! And Brag shall answer. And Bragg shall answer! And Bragg shall answer! Uh, hey, hey, hey! Hey, it's Amandine! Somewhere in the foothills of Far Anorian, hope is kindled once again. Welcome back to the Redundant Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say, Hey, listen to me. This is episode number 105, and I'm your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shield, Swipe the Whirl of Agro, Redeemer of the Deep... And dwarf of Ill Repute. I am broadcasting live from temporary Light the Beacon's Middle Earth White Headquarters, or or LTB MEWHQ, as uh, you longtime viewers will know it. Um, and today I am coming to you, far from Ferrofilion, in the secret enclave of Lindelby, or as I like to call it, the East Cotton Farms. Hmm, listen to that soothing music coming down from the hills. I can see eagles soaring in the distance over the mountains. As I look through the glade, there's grain silos. Small, simple folk living in small, simple homes. Rock walls, flowers, arrayed across the hillside. And right there, little Madelgard Tuca, grandmother. Let's take a look at Madelgard Tuca she is wearing some kind of uh uh yeah what do you call it uh you know what's the princess from uh, star wars she's from nibia nambia namibia no that's not it i don't know she's got those like side guards with the crazy hairs this is embarrassing my memory's killing me but anyway that's what grandmother tuca looks like and she has her arm crossed and she's staring at me like she's not about to buy any more of my BS so um, anyway I think it's cool that they found another hobbit enclave in the game I believe if you count the Shire maybe even Buckland as its own entity I know that's stretching it then you've got uh, more of Tolu in Enidwaith and now Lindelby in the far reaches of the Wells of Langflood. Who thought hobbits would have wandered such distances? And uh, of course, we're forgetting the enclave of hobbits, which supposedly uh, lived in the Vales of Anduin and from which Smeagol and Deagle descended. Uh, perhaps maybe they had relations back in the day, Wells of Langflood, not too far north of Vales of Anduin. If you go back in the Hobbit times, But it seems like Lindelby has been protected low these many years from the orcs of Gundabad by a secret location. No one even knew this 500 mile expanse of valley in between these beautiful mountains existed except for the eagles. And the hobbits, they don't make much noise, just feasting and drinking all the time and shouting and yelling. It's it's, uh, pretty easy to understand how they could have been missed here for so long. Uh, But questing here did remind me of the market in North Cotton Farms and all the non-combat related quests that uh, came along with them, except maybe beating some shrews over the head. Uh, I think here in Lindelby there was one nasty warg that came down from the mountains to threaten them. But besides that, it was just peaceful farming and crafting and looting. I'm sorry, not looting, uh, fishing and, you know, doing all kinds of very idyllic subdivision A type things so anyway um i've been meaning to come from limbeldy limbeldy i've been playing wimbledon for no i've been been meaning to film from Lindelby for a while now since the Vales of anduin first hit and i'd never managed it but here i am now and i've described it to you in detail and now it has nothing to do with the rest of the podcast because it's been so long so uh i think we better move on to ilanok In the last episode, we offended those who thought all that hip-bold nonsense was well behind us, and people who think May is just as good as January when making an annual plan for your MMO. So for all those viewers, and you know you're not viewers, who might have gotten their sabatons in a bunch, I'd like to express a sincerely, sincerely heartfelt sorry. Viewer comments. Agree to disagree on that one, okay? Okay. Viewer comments. Take it at face value. Um, there are none. However. We did not have a new iTunes review. As a matter of fact, it's been quite some time since we had one. The last review of the podcast was left by Funky S Funky Us081 on April 5th, 2019. And they currently have our high score. Yeah, you know, I was expecting Funky Us082 to have made the scene by now and kind of scooped in, but uh has not had was twas not to be. If you want to join this Ramshackle Mumakill Congo line. Please leave us a random number of stars on iTunes or Google Play. Or, alternatively, if you take the Philocool Heavy Shell Shield and hold it over your head under the Reichfoss waterfalls in the Wells of Grey Flood, the resulting pitter-patter of musical notes wafting through the mists will transmit your inner thoughts to my ears. Or, uh, you could just Twitter me. Whatevs. Uh, let's move on to fewer feedback. Agree to disagree. Uh, again, Tommy Ork of York, medieval barber, He wrote in to say, Thanks for the tip about the sacrifice skill uh, being of use in the wells, uh, in the vales of Andrew under the wells of Langflood. I like war steeds, but never use the medium one. Might test that out to see how long I could ride through mob dense areas. The Rohan housing is already there with placeholders, he says, in game. Uh, You can see the maps of Stable Masters. You can ride around one of them since it seems to be built on the landscape. Uh, That's North Kingstead. The other is on the east side of the Eastfold Hills, and in, in the hills of uh, east of Aldberg, peeking over the fence, and it seems pretty impressive. Um, so thanks, Tommy Ark, for writing in. Uh, I've heard recent grumblings that the wedding of Arwen and Aragorn may be premiering in game. Uh, as a matter of fact, it did last week, and it is speculated, it was speculated, Western Rohan release on the legendary servers might also be bundled with that, but apparently not. So got a little bit more wait still. Still, I can't think it's too many more weeks in the offing. I would bet we have it uh, either before the end of the Midsummer uh, Festival or just as it ends in about three weeks time, I would guess. Uh, that's just my own speculation. Uh, I'm ready. Raiding on the legendary servers has become a bit tedious. I never liked the Aerobore cluster to begin with, and the BFE 2-2 challenge is out of reach of all but the most hardcore of raiders and uh nothing you do on the tiers lower than that can really improve your character at this point in terms of getting you additional gear you know once you have your yellow bracelets from snowborn um you know there's a you know you have to do tier two or tier two challenge at the least to qualify for uh, p- perhaps getting a first age uh weapon or uh, or class item and uh we were also running Baird Gul'dur. we did it Five, six, seven times, didn't get one to drop. So, I mean, you know, I guess if you're not doing two-two two Challenge BFE, it's not worth doing. There aren't a lot of alternatives because there's no reliable place to farm or grind for first agers anywhere that I can tell right now. So... Yeah, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. You know, I polished off my character's LIs and don't know what else to do there. Big battles might not be exactly what the doctor ordered for our, you know, for our kin for raiding, but at least there'll be a significant change of pace. And who knows, maybe, uh, maybe they'll get some spit and polish before they come out, or they'll even fix the reward system uh, so that, you know, they're decent doing on level at 85. And, uh, you know, we can experiment with, I don't know, maybe I'll learn the Vanguard line, which I've never really figured out before. Do something like that. I'm sure we'll get more of them than, I, uh, than I'm looking forward to. From Twitter, I don't have anything specific to call out this, this, uh, this week, except I'm continuing to enjoy the day-to-day interactions, distractions, and chill actions that come from being part of Twitter community. Uh, from a community spotlight standpoint, uh, you know, comboed with uh, the forums, I will say I really enjoyed the community interactions that went into the solving of the uh, second part of the Mystery of the Secret Stones uh, about a month ago. And I want to talk a little bit more on that later, but, uh, you know, the collaboration that was going on over the forums was really fun to watch and see. Um, so on this week's Action Packed episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. Listen, I know it's been a long time. I mean, when I saw the date of the last episode, uh, you know, you could say it was in May, but really it wasn't. It was the last day of April. That's a long time ago. I'm sorry about the break. You'd think I have more time while self-isolating here in Moria, but uh, I don't know. Somehow... Things are always busy or the motivation is not there. And to tell you the truth, I've actually been playing a lot. Sometimes I say to myself, would I rather record right now or would I rather play? And sometimes I'm just in the mood to play. It's the way it goes. I'm I'm sorry about that. I hope uh, to be back sooner the next time around. But... Uh, we're also to discuss the mystery of the Shadowed Cave and the community drive towards that eventual solution. We're going to discuss some very offensive constraints to the Bjorning class. We're going to give some initial impressions for the Wedding of the Third Age, as well as the Midsummer Festival and its inaugural debut. So we have a ton to cover, but if you want to have time for all that, we better get moving. Third Beacon, vavoom. Nardal, this month in gaming and or other Tolkien news. So what else have I been playing? I'm not sure if I mentioned last time I was here, but I did finish Bioshock eventually. Uh, I think I talked enough about that game. I don't need like a more extensive review. But just really short, the environment was super cool. The idea was super cool. The gameplay for me on the PS3 at least was lacking a little bit. I just didn't like the controls. Um, I also didn't like that you could get stuck in a place where you had... Very few resources and trying to beat down monsters where you didn't have enough ammo or couldn't find anything locally to help you out, Um, you know, would get you stuck for periods of time. But, uh, you know, the big uh, the big thought for me is, is it worth going on to Bioshock Infinite because I've heard it's a superior game? I could see myself playing it at some point, but I'm going to take a break for now. I also got bored with Flipping Death, the game I talked about uh, last episode, and I stopped playing it basically. Uh, the characters were cool, the animation style was really neat. Uh, you know, I just didn't keep my attention, and I don't normally stop games, so I haven't erased it off my computer, but definitely looking for other things right now. I've been watching the Baby dwarves in the House play the rest of us, the original one, not the two. They wanted to play the original game before uh, starting to beg me for the new game, uh, which I have resisted purchasing. But I did watch them play the original game. It looks quite good. It's obviously quite adult subject matter, but the characters look like they have a ton of depth, and it's a cool narrative. So I could see myself giving that a try at some point. The other thing that I liked about it is it wasn't, It wasn't an exorbitant amount of gameplay to get through it. I think uh, they told me they did it, you know, story mode with a little bit of exploration in like six or seven hours, which I think is pretty reasonable. I've been watching them also play this past week Shadow of the Colossus, which was a game we acquired a long time ago. And that's kind of a unique and different game. The graphics are amazing in it. And, uh, you know, again, it doesn't seem like it's overkill. It's a novel idea. The gameplay's different. I don't think there's a ton of depth to the gameplay. But every boss you have to get through, which is the size of a mountain, kind of has a, a different strategy or trick you have to figure out. So, um Yeah, it's pretty neat. I'm I'm enjoying actually just spectating on it and watching him do it and make fun of him when he fails. I have been playing Red Dead Redemption on the PS3, and I'm in the early stages of it. Yes, I know this is a game that came out, what, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago. I'm not even sure at this point. Um... Whenever the PS3 was the height of fashion, uh, which has uh, obviously been a few years. So um, even on the PS3, I, I just, uh, you know, it's a good world. The characters are good. The immersion is good. There seems like a lot you can do. Um, that's what I'm worried about is that there seems to be a lot you can do. But, uh, you know, I found myself sitting down a couple nights and uh, where I'd go to start gameplay. And I'd sit down at a poker match. And I'd play poker for like an hour. <laughs> Because <laughs> they have a pretty good poker simulation in the game, and I can make money that way um, once I figure out the AI character. So, uh, so yeah, it, uh, I'm going to be playing that for a while, I think. And uh, I'm also doing a co-op mode with my youngest, uh, playing Donkey Kong Country, which is just kind of good old-fashioned, you know, humorous fun. Um, so we we just knock off a level of that every week or so, and you know, use it to spend some time together, which is cool. From a movies and TV standpoint, this past week I watched Eurovision, the story of Fire Saga, starring Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, which uh, was released on—gosh, uh, I think it was Netflix, but it might have been uh, might have been Amazon Prime. I can't remember 100% for sure now, but. Um, Typical Will Ferrell movie was entertaining in parts, really silly in other parts. I do love Rachel McAdams, and she looks great in this flick. Um, And lots of fun cameos, actually, in there, too, of uh, other folks that you might know. I find it uh, humorous diversion, worth a try. And, you know, if you don't want to see the movie, just watch the music video out on YouTube. It's a good uh, three or four minutes of fun. Um... In progress from a series standpoint, I have started to work my way through Westworld Season 3. I have found myself less enthused with the series as they moved outside the park. Not that it's well done, it's just not as interesting to me. Seems kind of be morphing into something it wasn't when it started. But it is well done and there are some nice twists here and there and obviously some good acting performances. So uh, I am going to try to get through Season 3. I'm about halfway through Season 5 of Schitt's Creek uh, with that series seeming to be coming to a satisfying conclusion shortly. Um, It's gotten better as it's gone along, and I think the breakout star is Eugene Levy's son, he is, uh, he is quite a character. I don't know if he can play anything else, but he does this character really, really well. Uh, also, occasionally dipping into Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where we're sometime, somewhere on Season 3 after, well, I don't want to do any spoilers. I mean, it's only been out, I don't know, 20 years or so. Um, and then the latest hit, the latest uh, recommendation that I have is uh, started watching Dark with uh, the kids, and uh, you need older kids for this one. It's a serious subject matter. Uh, there's you know sexual overtones and and uh, you know some darkness in the human nature that, that comes into it. I describe it as kind of a uh, it's kind of a mix between Chernobyl, which was an amazing series, and Stranger Things. It's like Chernobyl and Stranger Things had a baby, and the baby was dark. Uh, which is in German with English subtitles, is the way you should watch it. Do not watch the English translation. But it is a, it is a dark, ominous, and well-put-together series. Some of the DNA of it reminds me of Lost, back when there were so many mysteries that you couldn't even keep track of them in the first three seasons before it jumped the shark. So, um, So I definitely recommend that one. And I'm hoping to see Uncut Gems and King of Staten Island. have not those marked those off my list yet, maybe this coming weekend. In the books department, I picked up Michael Chabon's Telegraph Road. I love returning to Michael Chabon. He's got some of the most unique usage of the English language in the history of books. I think he tends to meander sometimes. and doesn't always have a coherent type plot, but uh, sometimes he does. And it doesn't matter if he does or he doesn't because just reading his prose is reward enough. It's amazing. Uh, He's got some of the most amazing sentences I've ever read uh, in the history of uh, books. So uh, really enjoying digging into that one, enjoying his prose. And uh, what else have we been doing? Oh, I guess we should talk about Lotro. This is a Lotro podcast. So Bragg chilling at one he He's got, you know, almost all... Rem gear across the board, even if it's only tier 1 or tier 2 gear, I feel sturdy, but I'm still shade under 400k morale unbuffed, where I've seen cappies, bears, and even other guards in the 500 to 600k buffed range, maybe even 700k for a cappy, Um, so I do feel a slight bit inadequate next to some of those um you know if i see a 400k guard uh tanking with me anything above tier one boss one and rem i would get concerned but i think i have solid underlying stats and build in other areas uh so i haven't had any trouble tanking the things i've tried to date uh from a raid perspective in end game um yeah i'll be looking to polish him for sure i'd like to get him a little more solid here and there but i also went back and started doing a few more deeds um not even virtues that I have slotted, but working on virtues that I do not have slotted, which, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's every little bit helps. And if you get all your other virtues maxed, which is not an unreasonable goal for me at this standpoint, since I've been emptying my deed log for the last couple of years, or trying to, um, it could certainly help. I'm working my way right now through West Rohan, is the, where I am in terms of the deed log. Um, I think that's that. Maybe one other area, and I'll have Rovanian clean, which was pretty cool. And then we'll move on to move on to Gondor, I guess. Uh, you know, once you get your tune to 130, you know, there's a lot of things you need to work on. So here are the upgrade priorities as I look them. First, you got to work on your gear, whether you start with instance gear or rep gear, and then up to you know tier one rem gear. Or you know, get Veils daily gear, whatever the case may be. Whatever you can get. Uh, then the next priority to me is, unfortunately, the biggest pain is probably essences, just because every time you get to another end cap, you have to upgrade all your essences. They make a big difference between the last version and this version. It's like half. You know, you get eight thousand tactical mitigation in one. It's like twelve or fourteen in the latest tier. So uh, it's the biggest pain just because they are three solvents a piece to craft. And then you've got this random chance of a crit to get a special trigger essence for which I'm like 0 for 12. None of my characters have them. No matter how many I craft, I can't get one. And then, uh, you know, Li relics. Don't forget your crafted relics um, that can be traded for MS, uh, at least in Imlad Morgul for 250 or 500 sigils of Imlad Morgul. To upgrade the sigils on your weapon, and those can make a big difference too. though Especially the big striking one or the big rune of binding, you know, can add like five to seven percent to your DPS or your healing, in my experience. So it's a big deal. Uh, then of course you get more starlets and scrolls of empowerment, typically to apply as level cap goes up. And then you've got to look at, uh, you know, some of either offhand item upgrades or you know making sure you have the latest consumables for everything. Um, those those take a huge jump as well. I think Athlos potions from Mordor were like 3,500 or 35,000 and now they're like 97,000 morale, which is crazy. Um, but nice, it's a big boost, whatever you use one, it certainly helps in a no-crap situation. So uh, so that's the priorities that I've been going through for my toons that are cap, which includes my mini, uh, also at 130. She's probably my best geared character right now. She's been doing Tier 3 content and Tier 2 raiding without issue. Uh, I used 10 glad components for her to craft a new teal shield for her uh, from my metalsmith brag, And as a cook, she can make uh, food that adds like 2.5% to your mitigations, which is really nice, actually. It's not bad at all, physical and tactical, but they're really expensive to make. You have to use those crafting components um, that are you know, harder to come by and a bunch of other stuff in order to generate those. So I've been doing them sparingly and using them on just the hardest instances. Uh, but it is a nice buff. Uh, the crazy thing about my mini is that she recently ranked in the moors, which I couldn't believe. So I've actually been... Hooking up with a group that plays Tuesdays and Thursdays out in the Moors, uh, and for a couple hours, That is a pretty good raid leader. Usually one or two raids uh, on the Freep side, and uh, generally the creeps sometimes have been undermanned, sometimes been overmanned, but generally speaking, we have a couple hours of good, uh, good fights, uh, good comms. You know, turning over keeps, turning in quests. Uh, Leader's really creative and I've been enjoying it It's been fun Uh, It's been a while, a long time since I PVP'd on a regular basis So I started doing it with my mini Because she was close to ranking And I just recently ranked with her Rank 6, not a big deal But to me it is just because I don't spend that much time playing PVP Every time I rank a Freep I'm like, okay, that's the last time I'm doing this (laughs) Because I look at the fact That it's going to be twice what I just put in To get to the next rank And I'm like, no, not doing it but I have started playing uh, with Bragg and the Moors. He's only ranked 6 or 7 himself, and I you know, I think I'm trying to see if maybe I can nudge it up one more. I don't see myself, you know, maybe this is a fad. We'll see. We'll see how long I stick with it. Comms are easier to come by than they used to be, but like I said, every time you rank and you look at the fact that it's double the effort to get back to the next level, I mean, and I'm only on 7 or 8, I can't imagine how people get to 15. That would drive me insane, uh, you know, I'd have to play this game another 20 years before I could do that. So uh, anyway, I'm knocking on wood uh, with that and crossing my fingers. My Cappy is also 130. He is the fashionable one. He has completed the mortar epic content. Uh, He has a few scattered REM pieces of gear and expanding. I geared him basically with veils, rep gear through Bragg. So once, once Bragg opened up the dailies, he could buy equipment and pass it down to alts. And so I use that to upgrade a lot of his jewelry pieces and some of his base gear pieces for my Cappy. Uh, he's running Tier One Rem with no issues, um, and also doing some Rakos as a tank. Uh, I find being a Redline Cappy for raids is pretty easy overall. I mean, generally speaking, they have you know high morale just kind of natively uh, as part of their build, and uh, so you know I'm not expected to do a lot of DPS. I just got to keep my buffs up. I got to do a little bit of healing here and there where it's needed. I got to keep an eye out for a res. I got to keep up my defensive buffs and everything using my melee skills. I find it improvisational and, uh, you know, not as hard. I think you can get by with a slightly lesser build than some of the other classes required to do their jobs well in raids. So it's it's an easy raid starter because just having you in the group helps everybody, right? Um, So... Uh, you know, I'm not saying undergear your captain, but it's a good way to get into raid content that you haven't seen before, in my opinion. And uh, my Cappy didn't drain quests for the whole expansion, so he's not eligible for the weekly Scourge's runs out of Mor- out of mortar Besieged. Um, there's the Embers, and he can do those Scourge quests, they pop for him, but you don't get the weekly quest for Embers and Virtues, which is the wrapper, uh, for doing all 8 out of the 9 at least. Um, You don't get that unless you finish all the quest deeds in Imlad Morgul as well as Morgul Besieged. And after I did that with Bragg and I did that with Brezel, I forgot I needed it for the Scourge runs if I wanted it. So I just kind of skipped it on my cappy. I got to level without having to drain all the quests in every area. And then I kind of regretted it. (laughs) Because usually my third or fourth character needs the virtue points, you know, the embers for virtue points, and virtue points more than, uh, you know, my top characters do. So when I got my uh, Björning to level, as I did recently, I ended up finishing off all the quests so he could qualify for the embers and virtue point wrapper quests for those Scourge runs. And uh, I'll probably work on it to get it done with my Cappy at some point, too. Um... you see, my lore master I haven't played yet. He's languishing at 120. Berg is also at 120. I've done a few random quests in the Veils with him, but uh, not really focused on moving either of them to end game at this point. My hunter is also at level 119, so I got a little bit, a little bit of a glut around this area. Uh, I've done a few quests with her here and there in the northern dwarf kingdoms uh, around Yarnfast. Just want to get her to 120 in case there's any. Uh, Anybody running instances in the Northern Kingdoms, I can uh, try to join for some of those Dwarf Kingdom instances with her if I want to at some point. Uh, Let me see. My Björning is level 130. When last we spoke, I think he was maybe in the low 100 single digits uh, around Lingris. And I was intrigued by what everyone described as the OP nature of the bears as tanks or healers in endgame raiding, and I've observed some of it myself, so I decided this would be my next project, bypassing my LM and Berg, which I would normally level first. Um, I finished the Mortar Epic, followed the Epic all the way through the Northern Kingdoms through the latest release, so I have all the trade points for him aside from big battle number two trait point, uh, which you can't, you don't have to have at this point because there's one more point than uh, that you can use than you can earn right now, questing. Um, I think you can use 94 points, but you can earn only 95. So my Bjorning was questing in, in the Imlad Morgul expansion, uh, did all the quests in all the areas, including Mortar Proceed. so it's starting to do some scourge runs now. And uh, it took a week or two of steady... A couple weeks of steady play to get to 130 on my Bjorning. And I I finally got there the day that bears got nerfed. I swear to God. The the release came out nerfing bears the day I reached level 130. I was like... (coughs) Oh well. Try again next time, jackass. Funny thing is, I don't feel ready for Endgame as a tanker healer yet as a Bjorning. I just don't have... Uh, that much practice yet, I could probably do it, but I don't, I don't feel like my oh crap buttons are automatic yet and feel uncomfortable knowing that my oh crap skill may or may not be available depending what form I am in. I mean, thickened hide is great and all, but what do I do when it runs out and I don't have enough rage for my mind mall, small and I'm in the wrong form and panic starts to set in because I've got wounds and I have to remove corruptions and I'm getting blasted across the room into the puddle, blah, 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 blah. You really want endgame content for that stuff to be automatic and it just doesn't feel like it's close yet. So when the mammoth grotbeg mama from Remboss 2 is leaning on me, what am I gonna do? So will just being the goodness of being a Björning sustain me? Just being OP? Who knows? Again, some powers I have not yet been tested. But it does feel good to get a character that was not an original Shadows of Angmar class to endgame. I mean my highest warden is like forty-eight. And my highest RK is 63, so Bjorning is the first class, not race, but class that I've gotten to endgame since uh, since Shadows of Angmar was released. And uh, with that, I need some ale to wet my whistle. Um, I have not been playing my champ at level 76. My RK is 63 and did a few more epic quests. He's approaching the skirms of uh, Volume 2, Chapter 5. Um... Warden has not been played. 47 is sitting idle. High Elf Warden is parked at level 20, doing nothing. On the Legendary server, I have not played my guard. He's currently questing in the lowland still, level 26. Uh, My Cappy is level 85 still. Uh, in the East M net just grinding some scrolls of empowerment from Skirm Marks to polish him off. A raid team leader left on our legendary server, Ken. He just uh, the time wasn't a fit for him anymore. He hasn't left the can or anything. But someone else from the team stepped in, has been doing a great job, uh, keeping us busy. My intensity for it is lacking a bit, though, based on the content that's available right now and the rewards for that content in the game. So, as I mentioned, looking forward to the next release. Uh, also, my LM, uh, level 85, just doing Scrolls from Empower. Really not sure how to improve this character significantly right now at this point without a first age 85 or you know gr- grinding non-slotted virtues, maybe, which is incremental, obviously. Um, my... Stout Axe Burglar on the server, Braxtag, and uh, has gone from level 36 to 59 since last we talked. So, it did make a little push there, uh, messing around Even Dim and the North Downs, and was trying to figure the best path forward uh, that wouldn't get me bored. So, I tried to going to Anuminos quests for the cultist racial deed, that's I think is like the first. Angmarum cultists that you can get in game that will uh build that racial deed um that the stout axes need but at level 36 or 37 it was a real grind trying to beat like level 50 mobs i could do it as a burglar but if i got caught with too many i'd have to hips and sometimes they'd resist and it was just slow so i went back to the epic story a bit and then went back to the docks later uh, I decided to be wacky and go level in the Troll Shaws and drained all the quests in the Troll Shaws, which I hadn't done in a long time. So that was fun. Went straight from there to region uh, Moria level 45, 46 or so. Um, I got to level, you know, more to open the quest line. So basically, I followed the epic quest line into Moria. But when the, the line moved to the 21st hall, uh, the quest became gray because I was too... Uh, low of a level to access it so that was uh, i've got to go back and get some levels just so i can pick up the epic quest line again um i think you know i'm level like i said i'm in my 50s right now with my berg but so it can't be 59 it's got to be 50 36 to 50 that's a lot less impressive but it's more accurate (laughs) so i went from 36 to 50 and right now i'm not qualifying for some of the epic quests because i think they're at 55 56 so i need another level or so to get through those um you know just trying to get my myself in position to do moria quests uh for or moria instances just because there's so many deeds in the moria instances if you want to work on virtues they're There are a few better ways to do it than just to run Moria instances and get all the different deeds uh, swept out for those. Heck, there's probably 11 or 12 deeds in the Grand Stairs alone. But my swarthy stout axe dwarf burglar feels very at home in Moria. I think I'll stay a while. And if there's one thing I've learned from upteen characters, it's that Moria instant deeds is one of the best ways ever to stack up Virtue XP. There are just scores of them, as I mentioned. So, um, In other Tokian news... Ian Holm passed away over these past few weeks. There were a number of in-game tributes concerning him, which I think is fitting. Uh, I think the devs reactivated the Bilbo's birthday event, uh, specifically in his honor. Um, a lot of people forget that Bilbo was also a milk-spewing android in the movie Alien originally, which is a was a great role, great character. Uh, just But being in Lord of the Rings just revealed the secret that so many already know about him that Ian Holm was an amazing stage actor or just actor in general. I just rewatched the extended editions with the family in his honor and again and again you have to marvel at the quality of the performances there. I mean, Lord of the Rings really paved the way for top talent to perform in this genre which uh, was w- was rare previously, you know, with with very few exceptions. And you know, I'm looking at you Frumpy York running down the hill at Amon Hen at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. Like you have a load in your pants. I mean, Besides that, the casting really was amazing. So, there you have it. Um, With that, I think we need to move on to our fourth beacon of Errolas. Moving on to Errolas. I'd like to talk about uh, the mystery of the Secret Stone community scavenger hunt puzzle thing that came into the game recently. And I know it's a little bit of old news, but, uh, you know, I, I... a lot of effort goes into this, you know. It seems like a passion project for one of the devs, and I respect that. Um, it certainly drags you out of the everyday drudgery of whatever you happen to be doing, and is a couple a uh, couple days of excitement um, that usually has, you know, a nice payoff and rewards. And I, I think that devs have shown they, you know, they have such a huge world in Middle Earth at this point. All the different places they've created that using these vehicles and things like the uh, anniversary event scavenger hunts to send people back to locations that they may not have seen in a long time and hide little secret clues and loot and presents and pickup items kind of embedded all over these kind of classic holes in the wall and little hideaway places and even inside of the instances that we haven't run maybe in a lot of times is just really creative and uh, fun for the community. Um, you know, a couple examples of things that stood out to me with this second go round, and and as you may or may not know, you had to have finished the uh secret stone quest line that came out last year, starting in Erebor, uh, in order to qualify for this event. Um, so, there were some people scrambling to go back and get that done. There is an excellent guide in the Department of Strategy on how to complete that first objective. Uh, It'll take some doing. It'll take you a couple hours of gameplay, at least, uh, going back and farming old instances and finding these out-of-the-way locations. But at the end of it, you will have a really neat-looking goat, and uh, you will avail yourself of the next chain. So, you know, there were some interesting twists and turns this time around. Uh, For example, you know, just a broad overview, secret chamber found in Moria. Um, the stone that you recovered last year in Erebor needs to be placed on a pedestal. There's a space for it where you find out that it fits perfectly but there's four other stones that have to be recovered and there's something urging you to collect all the stones that it seems to be their destiny to get all together in one place. And so it sends you on quests all over the all over the world to try to find the four secret stones. Uh, in the second stone there's a short instance you uncover at one point in time. Where you have to repeat a phrase to a guardian, who, if you if you get the phrase right, they'll release the stone to you. But the phrase is in you know black speech, and it requires translation from a bunch of you know. Strange pieces of uh, of text that are scattered across pieces of paper all over the world, and uh, you put them all together and you translate them, and they're they're in, you know they're coded, so you have to find a cipher. <laughs> and If you apply the right cipher, you figure out that uh, you you must say "shamuk uthra kar uz badu uz nanul And uh, yeah, I think that was pretty good actually. I didn't think I'd get that out in one try, but you know you would think. Nothing good would come of uttering words in that fashion, but uh, people do it anyway, apparently. so. And I, I remember watching the forums as people were uncovering this puzzle, and they were kind of arguing over the words to say, and they couldn't get it right, they couldn't get it right, and it turns out like it was something silly, like one of the words was... Um, Oh, gosh, it was in the wrong, like, you know, it was in the wrong uh, pluparti for past, present, participle or whatever. And they had to change the ending for the female. You know, it was like really nerdy stuff. Okay, so uh, I mean, it was amazing. But someone found it and they put it on the forum. So, um, you know, the fun thing about this stuff for me is, I mean, it's not meant to be solved by a single person. You know, there are sometimes there's lines in the quest like find this thing somewhere in the world and that's there's no like better indication to you of where to go and it just takes hundreds of people sweeping the countryside looking for this thing, you know, using everything they've learned about the game to, you know, randomly stumble upon it, you know, so it's crowdsourced and, you know, that's neat from that perspective, but. You know, I'm not gonna, I don't have the time to spend to solve these rhymes. You know, it's all I can do in terms of a time investment to follow the instructions that someone else puts together. But I find that a fun thing to do. I find you know, I, I, I'll take a guess myself if I think I know. But if it's going to take me any time to figure out and I'm not sure, and it's going to waste hours of gameplay, heck yeah, I'll go to the guide <laughs> and look up what I should do next. And uh, sometimes just executing the instructions takes a few hours. So um let me highlight a few more things about this like so the, the finding the third stone you find out was stolen from the rock belly pit ruined by a troll that leads a merry chase all over the landscape ending up in even dim fornost and even like finding a final clue in the instance of Carn uh in the fourth stone you have to build a chisel to remove a roan stone with stuff all over the place you know they tell you go find someone who can help build you the chisel <laughs> no other clue well it turns out he's in the foundations of stone so he's not too far away but the only way you find him is randomly walking around and and checking with every npc you see to see if there's a ring over his head um so in the forums there were like 27 pages of contributions literally of texts you know resulting in the final solution that allowed entry um into the final objective of the hunt and um Uh, You know, know, what was kind of fun was I was actually working from home the day the puzzle came out, and I watched the thread kind of unfolding minute by minute as there were discoveries around the four separate stone threads and the progress of each one to conclusion, and that was really, you know, it's an amazing community, okay, and let's just say it, a spectacularly nerdy one that can translate kudzel using veneer ciphers to find the final solution to the various riddles, I mean, Wow. But the fact that they are there and that passion, it allows me to tag along. And actually, that effort is not insignificant. Like I said, I still feel like I earned that reward at the end of the day. But the real reward, I mean, the goat's pretty sweet. But the the real reward was finally, at the end of this chain of events, getting into the Shadowed Cave. <laughs> so, the Shadowed Cave has uh, been a a chamber that's been marked on the Moria map in the Foundations of Stone since Moria debuted, which is, you know, I don't know, like 10 years ago now or something like that. And um, I mean, I remember spending hours walking up and down the walls, trying to figure out if there was a way I could jump across the the stony, like, projections and get over the landscape to find my way into that cave i wanted in there so bad i was like moria is the coolest place in the game the shadowed cave is the coolest place in moria i must discover this because you know, I had a fascination with getting to know the Moria map like intimately, and and being able to go everywhere and knowing all the details. That was just my thing. It was my my RP for my Dwarven character, right? So, so I really wanted to get in there, and I never was able to. And you know, there were speculations on the forum for years that maybe the Shadowed Cave was the cave where you found the Balrog in originally, and who knows? It still might have been connected to that. But for the devs to incorporate that. Uh, kind of vestigial landscape that was uh, left over from the Minds of Moria release into the plot line for uh, the instance that you discover at the end of this quest chain and open for your community to discover uh, by solving these riddles is, uh you know, it's just a lot of care goes into that, and I, I do appreciate it. it. It was fun, and it was well done. And, uh, hey, I finally got into the shadow cave, man. I took pictures. Maybe I'll put some out on the uh, website for you guys to take a look at. Um, I'm sure most of you have discovered it by now. But with that, I think we need to move on to the next beacon of Minrima. Okay, we are at Rimon and now the original weekly sponsor segment. This show has been brought to you by the Bjorning class, and it's uh, most commonly repeated repeated refrain. So let me preface this by saying, since I've been playing a lot of Bjorning lately, one of the things I made a point of doing is draining the quests in the Veils of Anduin for the Bjorning. And I was really interested in getting the quest up, the character up to that level to see how, if there was any difference in gameplay or any recognition by the characters that this was my home. And I was very gratified to hear that there was, because I've been listening to Elotro players where... Pineleaf tested his stout axe in Mordor and was very disappointed to find that there's no customization of the story for a stout axe returning to Mordor. So I was starting to get suspicious that might be the case with the Bjorning, but it is not. If you arrive at uh, uh, the Bjorning house with Grimbjorn, uh you will be recognized wide and haily by your kin, who will all welcome you back. And then, as a matter of fact, there is a short quest chain to greet um, some of the key Björnings around the vales of Anduin and reunite with them. And when you get to the end of the list, there is a short instance where you can enter an area under the Karak, which is reserved for Björnings, uh, and receive a a Björning-specific title called Skin Changer, which I have now merited. So uh, that was really cool to do. But um, although there's privilege for the Björning in that area, there are also restrictions on the Bjorning, and if you've played the Bjorning for a long time, you will have started to hear the most commonly repeated refrain. If you know, if you, if you you played a bear, you know it by heart, and that is, requires human form. Yes, it's the phrase that appears across your screen whenever you try to interact with something as a bear uh, that you are not able to touch or engage with or do, which happens very frequently. Even when you get used to it and you get good at it, you feel really smart, turning into a human form before you do something. Every once in a while you'll forget and you'll click on something as a bear and you'll get the message popping in the middle of your scheme. Every time I see it, I start singing a song I made up. It goes like this. You may have heard the tune before. Requires human form. That's not the norm. If you want to weather the storm, it requires human form. So I've made The top 10 things to do in LOTRO that require human form. And here they are. Number 10. Playing Twister with more than one person. Number 9. Fitting that fat rump through the front door of the Great Barrows, or any hobbit hole for that matter. Number 8 thing that requires human form. Avoiding unwanted sexual overtures from Old Goldhead in the Ettenmores, if you know what I mean. Number 7. Doing the escort quest for Layla without losing track of her in your ample crevices. Number six thing that requires human form, being carried by the eagles to the slopes of Mount Doom without being lava dipped with too much ballast. Number five, avoiding pesky heroes repeatedly offering you red taming treats, which tastes like dry cardboard, by the way. Number four thing that requires human form, not ending up on the taxidermy wall of Bree. Number three thing, taking a nap without being accused of hibernating. Number two, not getting covered in honey. Oh, um, wait, forget that one. That that applies across multiple forms. Number one, taking a human shit, i.e. not in the woods. Those are the top ten things that require human form. They're not the norm. If you want to weather the storm, it requires human form. <laughs> that brings us to the sixth beacon of Callanhad. The Wedding of Aragon and Arwen. Wanted to talk a few minutes about it. Uh, not too much. Some of you may still be waiting to experience it. But general commentary. actually appreciate the brevity of it. And how much work went into Make It Special despite that brevity. I mean, you know, the environment they created is... Uh, there's been a lot of care put into it um you get a special moment with the majority of the main epic characters to kind of close out your arcs with them in a lot of cases you get a lot of human from the characters that kind of really plumb the depths of who they are based on the game to date um you also get a little bit of pathos here and there and you get some pointers to where these characters are going and what they will be doing even if you have not read the appendices previously uh because That is where we are, folks. I mean, for the epic, at least, you've you've got the Scouring of the Shire and the Grey Havens, and that's about all she wrote uh, as far as the epic quest is concerned. So I've been looking forward to the Grey Havens for a long time. I think I talked in a previous podcast about how I wanted it to be an option where you could do a final instance to retire your character at the end of their Hello Tro careers and have your name splashed across a billboard saying, Bragg has completed his journey into the West he completed six thousand five hundred and forty seven hundred deeds. He he killed three million five hundred and sixty-seven thousand eight hundred and twenty-three monsters. And uh you don't want to know what his playtime was. But I've been looking forward to the Grey Havens for a long time. But unfortunately, um You know, I think it's a neat idea where they made the Suburb Festival for Aragorn's wedding into a festival, but I think the scouring of the Shire won't make a great festival event. However, idea just occurring to me, what if you made it into a big battle? I actually kind of like that idea. Entrenched on the hill at Bag End, behind barricades, defending the party tree from attractors on all sides. I could see that being a fun and very different big battle experience idea for the devs um let me talk for a minute about so the wedding of arwen and argon uh you know you can tell what care went into the framing of the moment that occurred and all the decoration uh so it was uh you know they had an environment Minas Tirith that was was an opportune thing to decorate and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit as we go through the midsummer festival so I don't know how we fit another festival into the calendar. I mean, what about the summer festival? Okay, okay, whatever. Sure, jam it in there. But having cele- celebratory Minas Tirith, which we never have seen before, available yearly as an event that is joinable by lower level characters that might never see it otherwise, it really is a pretty brilliant idea when you think of it. I mean, so much time and care went into creating Minas Tirith that, and some of the, even the interior locations in there, which characters might see once on their original journey you know i think uh utilizing that environment uh and building more content around it was really smart um there's a variety of quests in the midsummer i'm still finding some new ones it seems like the rewards are not gouging you the uh the loot is reasonable there's some nice uh, emotes there's some nice um, titles available some pets uh, some nice cosmetics uh, steeds lots of steeds Uh, Five or even six horses if you count uh, one that you can earn during a special hobbit day present Wow, it's like, you know, you hear about printing money. These guys are printing horses like they're going out of style I I hope the stable that they're going to build me in my own housing is going to be big enough to hold it all Um, I'm sure I'll get tired of the dailies really quick I I intend to do five days of ten dailies and then get that deed done and call it a day, but for now, I'm enjoying them just because the environment is so vibrant and fun. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, I was wondering where the heck they would have gotten all these flowers from, and then I remembered the the five million flowers I collected in Athelion just to get that uh, stupid pony and frame around my guy. So, pretty sure that's where they all came from. Is all the characters grinding the Athelion deed for flowers? Um, so that makes sense, but it's going to be empty for a long time. Um, there are a lot of flowers and a lot of PCs and I haven't had lag issues yet. We'll see, but that is a lot of friggin' NPCs in a town that was already pushing the limits as far as drawing objects was concerned. So I don't know how they did that, but it's really fun to go everywhere and see everything decorated and see people partying and playing music and dancing and laughing. It's, uh, it's well done, like I mentioned. So uh, so I guess I'll welcome the Midsummer Festival. I, I thought there was going to be an instance associated with it. I haven't seen that yet. I heard they're adding some more music and some more loot out there. Maybe, you know, they could add quests to it over time. But uh, it seems like a solid start, um, at least in its first year. It's certainly something I'm interested in. We'll see how it bears up over repeat repeated gameplay. Um, I think that's, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going in the game, but I don't want to wear out my welcome. So I think I'm going to call it a night. Move on to the seventh beacon of Halithirian. Sorry we ran out of time. Winter came. It's time for blessed relief. I'm officially declaring the 105th episode of Light the Beacons done and dented. As always, I'd love to hear your diatribes. And most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. I know the last podcast I used alimony, but it seemed appropriate to repeat it. So the second A really does stand for alimony this week. Uh, Facebook or Twitter at Braggsononballon.com or my blog caps, my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. Hey, I just reopened my domain fees for the next two years. So go out and take advantage. Uh, if your comments incite me to forsake my legendary Dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-Earth. It's nice to be back. It was a little too long, so I appreciate those that you hung out to listen to me again. And uh, it's good spending time with you. This is Bragg, the son of Balin, reminding you that if an ape Baruk don't fix it, and remember, the next time you buy Aragorn and Arwen a Lembus bread maker for their wedding gift, uh, that was definitely not on their registry. Don't despair. Light the beacons.